Welcome to the Bike Rumor Podcast, where we spin off from our usual tech coverage to pick the brains of the people behind the brands. If you want to hear how bikes and components go from ideas to the things we ride, this is the cycling podcast you've been waiting for. Please welcome your hosts, Tyler and Watts. Man, that music gets me so crunk. So pumped. That's... Pumped to talk about gravel bike geometry? I'm guessing that's why you picked it. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm so amped up right now because, you know, gravel bikes are so hot. They're so oh. hot right now. Can we, can we never say the word gravel again? Okay. Off-road dirt bikes, drop bar that's bikes good. for riding on <coughs> gravel roads. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> cool. So today's guest is Carl Strong, who's just a legend in frame building, and he's going to introduce himself a little bit. So for anybody who hasn't heard of Carl Strong or has never been to Handmade Bike Show a few years ago, because he hasn't shown up in a couple years, and really doesn't need to, his business is killing it. To anyone who's never seen his name at the back of one of the magazines, I mean, he's always like, I've seen that since I started reading magazines. Yeah, the little classifieds, you know, yeah, thumbnail-sized exactly. ads in the back For of everything. Ever. Yeah. Yep. Maybe so. that was his secret. He was the one that was running ads. Uh, or he maybe. just knows how to run a business. <laughs> I think he just knows how to run a business, <laughs> right. probably. And so actually, I've interviewed Carl before for my Build Cycle podcast, which talks about entrepreneurship. So if you're interested in kind of how he's run his company and how he's grown, he's, you know, a builder who's been in the business for a long, long time, check that out. Just go to tylerbenedict.com slash podcast and you'll find that series of uh, podcasts we do. But for this episode on Bike Rumor, we're going to talk about, I'm sorry, Watts, gravel bike. <clears throat> geometry and how it's evolved but you know so from what i've seen because it, it's it is the hot category right now and what it's grown so fast and become popular so fast bikes have had to evolve very quickly you know when they first came out what we were seeing was basically a cyclocross bike with a little more tire clearance to run instead of like maxing out like a 33 all of a sudden you could run like a 42 some of them didn't didn't even have that yeah, and it, it was, was still a cyclocross cycle bike. bike. And it was bigger than a 25, so that was huge. All right. What do you um, mean, bigger? Oh, just bigger, bigger than, than a, a 25. 25 like anything bigger than... Because there was that whole... When I started riding, my Bridgestone came stock with 25s. And then I remember people telling me, like, why are you riding those big-ass tires? <laughs> so I got some 23s, and then eventually some, like, 22 tubulars. And uh, then the bike stopped having enough clearance. You tried to put a 25 on your road bike, and it would rub the brake or mm-hmm. rub the fork. Yeah, so now. And now. But even road bikes have gotten bigger. And we, we'll talk a little bit about that with Carl, too. But the gist of it turned out to be more about, like, really what makes a gravel bike a gravel bike. And what, you know, <clears> when we, we cover so much of those on Bike Rumor, and what we noticed was, like, all of a sudden, you know, okay, the head angle would get a little bit slacker or the fork just a little bit more rake or the bottom bracket would drop just a little bit. And it all was trying to kind of, people were trying to figure out, okay, well, what did you want? Because a cyclocross bike is great for cyclocross races. It's pretty snappily handle, snappily, snappy handling. You know, it's meant to go quick. It's got steeper angles, higher bottom bracket, maybe. Um, Although even those have come down, right? Like the European cross bikes always had really high bottom brackets to get over whatever, you know. off-camber pedaling, just that kind of thing. So you're not having pedal strike. Yeah, but meanwhile, if you've ever gone down the rabbit hole 
of, I mean, like, even 10 years ago, there were all these YouTube videos trending of cyclocross in, what, the 1920s? I don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, like these black and white videos of people in England, overseas, doing these bonkers bikes, doing these bonkers races on their road bikes, like true cyclocross, where they're throwing their bike across a river, jumping Which, that on That was it, like the Tour de France back in the day, well, yeah, right? Exactly. Like they were not riding paved roads for I mean, a lot this of this was it. like the precursor to cyclocross, and then it became this very polished kind of thing. And, man, people are so fussy with their bikes now. <laughs> right? Yeah, there were these geometries. They were just riding road bikes with caliber brakes on dirt roads then. Yeah. And now there, I have people telling me why a gravel bike geometry won't work for them. <laughs> well, and you're just looking at them going, what are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, it's funny. So I think people are going to be, uh, the people who think that is silly will be very happy with what Carl has to say at the end I of was, the yeah. interview. Yeah. I probably put a smile on your face, yeah. right? Cool. All right, so let's go to that, and then we'll come back, and we'll talk a little bit uh, more about the interview. Hey, Carl, thanks for coming on the Bike Rumor Show. Yeah, you bet. Good talking with you. It's always fun talking with you. You've been at this for quite some time, but I want to fill people in who aren't familiar with you. So real quick, you've been building frames for how long now? 26 years. Wow. Okay. With an emphasis on road and now uh, kind of all-road gravel, right? Yeah. Um I, you know, I've always been building gravel road bikes. They just now are being called gravel road bikes. I think that, um, you know, living in Montana where we have so many gravel roads, um, you, you run out of rides pretty quickly if you just stick to pavement. So we've been experimenting with disc brakes on drop bar bikes and tire sizes for, you know, all, the whole time I've been building bikes, really. That's great because what we're going to talk about today is the geometry of road bikes and now gravel bikes. And we can talk about cyclocross a little bit in there too, is it, if it makes sense. But you know, with gravel being the hot category right now and a lot of people transitioning from a pure road bike to gravel or maybe coming from mountain bike onto drop bar gravel because it's, it's a way to you know, try the drop bar experience without giving up that dirt feel that we mountain bikers love so much. I wanted to start with, like, generally speaking, top level here. Like, how would you define a gravel bike to somebody who is kind of, you know, maybe a customer comes to you and says, hey, I've been a roadie, but what's this gravel all about? What, what would a gravel bike look like for me? Well, a gravel bike, you know, there's different increments of gravel bikes. So you have your, you have your road bike, your all-road bike, your gravel bike, your monster cross bike, and it's all dependent on what the max tire size that you ever want to use is going to be. And so it, it, it's really not any one thing. And, 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 and so that's always sort of the key is finding out what your customer's priorities are, where they're going to spend their time, and then trying to um, define the bike around those, uh, those goals and priorities. Um, so, and, you know, I think loosely speaking, a gravel bike is a road bike with larger tires than what you'd find on a traditional road bike. Well, let's talk about tire size first, maybe. If it, or like, where would you start? Because I want to ask you about like head angles and fork rake and how that affects the steering. I want to talk about chainstay length and bottom bracket drop. Um, but then also, I think tire size plays a big role in that because you run into 
toe overlap issues and there's people running 650b with you know a fatter tire or 700c with maybe a not quite so fat tire so like <laughs> where would you start with all of that you know what's the starting point for you when you're designing a frame for someone so the starting point for me is what's the max tire size you see yourself using um and the increment seems to be most road bikes go up to about a 30 after that maybe we'll call it an all road the labels are really what complicates the discussion right but an all road would be um like a, a nv all road fork that will take up to a i think a 37 and then after that you get into the gravel forks the gravel forks go up into the low 40s and then ultimately if you really want to run a big tire like a two inch tire or more um, then you go to a mountain bike fork and so each one of those forks represents an increment. So that's the starting point. Which, what's the widest, what's the biggest tire you're going to use? Pick the fork that's going to accommodate that tire. A lot of people, you know, it would make sense maybe to just put the biggest fork on you can and you can run the biggest tire ever. But a lot of people know they're never going to go there and they don't want to have a lot of empty space around the tire. They don't think it looks good. So we start by figuring out that tire, picking the proper fork, and then working from there. Yeah, well, and uh, there's compromises to running the biggest fork. Like, you know, if somebody says, well, I just want to, I don't know what I'm going to run. I want to have a lot of options in the future. Let's just put the biggest thing on there. Those tend to be a little more raked out and have a taller axle to crown, which can, you know, if you're running something smaller, kind of negatively affect handling and, and bike position, I would think, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And handlebar position. I mean, if you have a, I don't know what the MV fork is off the top of my head, but if it's a, you know, 450 millimeter tall fork or whatnot, then that's where the bottom of your head tube starts. And um, you have to kind of build around that. So if you have a shorter rider, they might be making some sacrifices to having a true road bike style fit. So tire size, let's let's just pick two for the sake of this to keep it sort of simple. What I see, and tell me, I'm curious what your customers are ordering, but I'll tell you what I see first, and then tell me what your side of it is. For road, I think modern road bikes nowadays, a lot of people want to run a 25 or a 28. And then for a gravel bike, the, a lot of what we see is 700 by 42 or 47. So let's err on the big side and say 700 by 47. Or a 650 by, you know, on the very big side, 50. Um, if you had to build, like, compare and contrast those two, what are going to be some of the key differences in terms of, like, fork? Or And what are you seeing? Well, I'll, I'll start. What I'm seeing is, you know, let's just say what my experience is, is road bikes going to 30, all road bikes going to the upper 30s, and then a gravel bike above that. I have not had very many requests for anything above a 44 really um and so typically those would be the three increments the most popular one being that middle one that you know 30 to 37 millimeter tire where someone's going to run uh like a um a g1 in a you know a 38 or a, a a compass tire and a 38 or a 35 or something like that and they're more of a road tire with a road tread then when you get to the bigger tires people are looking at um, rougher conditions looser conditions and then they start to look at the the knobby tires that have the the, the corner blocks on them and um, and those would be for the bigger tires and I and the really big the ones you were just suggesting like the 50s and 50 pluses I've gotten little to no requests for those. Hmm. 
So let's define your clientele for a minute. Like who's ordering your bikes? What's the kind of age range, male, female? So I, I'd say if you, you know, the, the biggest demo would be the um, 35 to 65 year old male roadie um, that has a really nice high-end carbon road bike, but they want to have something to train on and do more adventuresome types of rides. Uh, maybe ride in the rain, ride with fenders, something to train on. And so they get the all-road style bike, knowing that they're going to maybe explore out onto some dirt roads here and there. But they're not doing logging roads, and they're not doing trails. I would say that would be the, the bulk of our customers. So let's talk generalities. You know, when you start going from a road bike or an, to an all-road bike to, you know, like a, a light gravel is maybe what I would call what you're seeing most of to like a full gravel, which is with the bigger tires, how, what happens to the head angle? Well, the head angle has to be slackened a little bit, um, to maintain a, uh, you know, a, a road, you know, length trail figure. So, you know, the, the gravel forks and all road forks usually have 47 or 50 millimeters of, um, fork offset. So in order to, um, keep a you know a proper you know 60-ish millimeter trail um, will slacken the head angle a tiny bit also um, as the bikes get smaller we need to slacken that head angle to um, produce clearance between the toe um, and the tire because smaller bikes with bigger tires have more toe overlap some people can tolerate a little bit and should get used to tolerating a little bit but there are people, especially older people, that feel more fragile. Or, or and I say older, I'm you know, mid to upper 60s, lower 70s, and just really want to avoid um, any type of mishap at all. Will oftentimes um, request that there is no toe overlap at all. They just don't want to worry about it. So that's kind of what affects that um, that head angle, um, toe overlap, and steering geometry. I want you to define trail for the people that don't know. So a trail is if you draw a straight line through the center of your head tube at your head tube angle and project it to the ground, and then you draw a perpendicular to the ground line from your axle to the ground, the axle line falls behind the head tube line. It makes a right triangle, and the base of that triangle is your trail, which is essentially a torque lever. So the longer that trail is the more uh force you require to overcome the inertia of the of the steering so a longer trail would be a more stable bike but it's going to be a little bit harder to initiate the turn right yeah yep mm -hmm. and you said i think i just heard you say you know somewhere around a 60 millimeter trail for a gravel bike is uh ideal right yeah, and that would be with maybe an optimized tire because as the tire gets bigger and smaller, that trail figure also gets bigger and smaller. So you kind of figure out what the, um, you know, the the most common tire size the rider is going to use will be, and then you optimize for that tire size. And I imagine it's a direct relationship, right? So tire size gets bigger, trail gets bigger because it's lifting that front end up and actually slackening that head angle slightly and therefore pushing that that part of the line on your right triangle out further correct well what it does is it just it just makes that triangle taller so it's just you know as it lifts off the ground the you know it projects to a broader base 
because when you're talking about the tire size, you know, both of them change. So there's not any tipping at all that occurs with a head angle. It's just a matter of raising that right triangle up. And then, you know, the, the base projects to the ground now, and it's just going to be a little bit broader, if that, if that makes any sense. So it seems like it's producing a minimal effect. I mean, if you're talking about going from, a, let's just say, 700 by 40 to, you know, all the way up to a 700 by 47, you're actually probably only raising that axle height a couple of millimeters and therefore maybe only infecting the trail a couple of millimeters at most, right? Yeah, well, let's see here. Let me just look at this trail figure here. So if I have a 35 millimeter tire generating a 59 millimeter trail and then I change that tire to a... Um, uh, 23 and it generates 57 so it dropped it by two millimeters so it's a pretty small difference okay is that something you think most riders would feel no you know and also you got to remember that signal is going to be somewhat um, muffled by the tire size and the low air volume that we're running in these bigger tires these days so and you have real you know some people are if you took the two bikes and they're identical in every way but that two millimeters i think a sensitive rider would probably feel it but um, I think for all practical purposes, it's really splitting hairs, and there's a bigger priorities that should be focused on. What else would you add to that? I think with, um, you know, there's more and more fork options out there, and maybe if somebody's buying a stock bike, the chances of them swapping forks out are pretty slim, but when you get into custom building and you have options, it's, you know, there's, you know, fork rakes ranging from, you know, low 40s out to, I think Envy's new one offers a 50 millimeter offset. How should somebody go about experimenting with that? Because forks are not cheap and it's, you know, it's not really like they have a demo program. Well, I don't, I don't, you know, I think what you could do is if you take a given bike and you put a different fork on it, you'd want to make sure, first of all, that the fork height is exactly the same because if you mess that up then nothing works right anymore um and then you can pretty much just predict um by the fork offset what it will do to the um to the steering geometry and you'll know whether or not it's going to speed it up or slow it down but then other things to take into account um when you change the steering geometry you're going to be your front center measurement and your wheelbase those things have um an effect on the handling and you know, we're looking at the fork, you know, independently of everything else, you can make certain conclusions, but um, they do, you know, um, there is a lot of interplay between that, you know, single area and then the rest of the bike as you, as you move back, I guess, that's what I'd, what I'd say. So, um, and then as a bike is more and more, um, as you get closer and closer to any extreme end of the spectrum i.e. a really small bike or a really large bike you're already sort of you know making um uh you know you're doing things specifically to accommodate that bike so any changes can have a um a more noticeable effect you know so we're if we're kicking out a fork to get it away from the toe on a really small bike um it's it's going to be more noticeable if you reduce the fork offset than if it was a mid-sized bike and you did the same thing. So why not take that, you know, for like, let's just say a small rider, why not just push the top tube length out, you know, the effective top tube length, just kind of stretch that front triangle slightly, 
so you can keep the fork angle and offset at a more normal number. We'll do that, you know, and we'll also steepen the seat angle as well because that pushes the um, pushes the wheel away from the bottom bracket too. Um, but you you don't want to overshoot it um, to the point where all your weight then is sitting on the back wheel. You know, you 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 want to try to optimize the balance on the bike, and if you go to um, extreme measures to push that front wheel away from your toe, you're also taking weight off the front of the bike so you try to find a happy compromise i want to give people a takeaway so to kind of wrap up head angles and fork brakes and stuff so if the important number i think about how those come together is trail and you suggest like a 60 millimeter trail is um as far as you know the head angle itself though will kind of dictate some of the handling snappiness you know like if you're looking at a crit bike they tend to be a little steeper, whereas, you know, a full-on gravel bike tends to be a little slacker. So generally speaking, for kind of an all-purposes road bike and then an all-purposes gravel bike, what kind of heading will somebody look at if they are just starting to shop for that category? Well, you know, it depends on the size, right? I hate to make everything too complicated because I look at everything from the custom bike perspective where I get to choose the optimum head angle. But I'd say 72 and a half to 73 is the happy spot for me. Um, and I like to design a gravel bike or an all-road bike, um, if we're going to make that distinction, basically to steer and feel like a road bike um, for the most part. And then, you know, it may seem, well, um, if I have a road bike geometry and I'm on this, you know, rutted out, breaking bump kind of road, I want more stability. Um, the way I look at that is that the, the tire itself, the added weight of the tire, introduces stability. So I let the added stability that a person might want come from the tire rather than the geometry of the of the frame. What do you think is the slackest somebody could go with a gravel bike without just getting really sloppy handling? Well, that's just such a relative term, right? But I, I wouldn't go slacker than a 72 <laughs> myself. I wouldn't want to ride a bike that had a, anything below seven, you know, 72. It would be just not a bike I'd want to ride. And then again, what we're doing is we're putting, we're taking weight off that front wheel again, you know. And when the weight goes off the front wheel, the bike has a little bit more vague handling characteristic. Um, and um, doesn't turn in as well, doesn't hold a line as well, doesn't grip as much. Okay, so where should we go from here? What's the next big consideration from you? Well, the next big consideration then is the, um, you know, your bottom bracket height and your chainstay length. So you have to increase your chainstay length to accommodate a bigger tire um, for a couple reasons. One is that um, you don't want the tire to hit your direct front derailleur clamp or the back of your seat tube. But also, um, you know, the longer that chain stay is, the, the less angle there is between the axle and the bottom bracket, right? If you were looking at the bike from above, a short chain stay, the chain stays have to dive in a lot from the axle to the bottom bracket. And on a long one, they don't dive in as much. So one of the big challenges with the big tire bikes is getting the tire to have space between the chain stays and the chain ring to not hit the chain stay. So between all those things and the longer front of the bike, I like to lengthen the chain stays. That gives us more clearance and better balance on the bike. 
so Chain says, you know, one of the tricks some people use, well, there's a couple. Um, the first one I want to talk about is, you know, a dropped chainstay where that drive side chainstay comes way low and then kind of curves back up to hit the bottom bracket. And that sort of gets it out of the way of both the tire and the chain ring. Is there any downside to that? Um, I don't know. Um, other than it's ugly, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I think it looks good. I love some of those bikes. But, yeah, it's it's a polarizing feature. Yeah, I'm a traditionalist, and um, I just I don't think it's super great looking, but it, it's an effective way to do it. Um, I'm not going to knock that, that's for sure. And um, so that's what people are doing. But they're also they're trying to um, keep their chainstay to you know as short as possible. And I'm not a real short chainstay person. My my design philosophy isn't to make the chainstay as short as possible. So I've been able to find room. Um, for everything with an average length chainstay on a gravel bike that being 420 to 430, um, and then I just there's just no need for the drop the drop chainstay. 420 seems to be a, a fairly average number from a lot of the bikes we've seen, but is there? Well, explain like what's from a handling perspective. I want to hear in your words like what's the pros and cons of a longer chainstay versus a shorter one. Well, the biggest difference um, is that a shorter chainstay produces a shorter wheelbase, which produces a smaller turning radius. So for a given input on the steering, you're going to turn more, right, because it's a smaller radius. Um, also, you can make the argument that a shorter wheelbase will feel a little more stiff, but then the alternate to that argument is a longer wheelbase will feel a little more compliant. Um, and then you can add on to that the weight distribution issue, a shorter chainstay is going to put more wheel on the back um, or more weight on the back than the front. And so you're always balancing those also. And so depending on the frame size, you're going to have different stem top tube combinations, which are going to be moving that front wheel back and forth. So you want to take that into account when you're um, determining the rear um, the chainstay length so that, you know, if you're, if you have a, if you have a really long front of the bike, you can have a longer chainstay. If you have a really short front of the bike, you're going to probably want to push the chainstay in a little shorter. And just, you know, the turning radius and stuff, kind of my translation of that is, you know, a really short one, you're going to have a pretty snappy feeling bike, you know, which is, I think for people racing cross, that's kind of what you want, or at least what I want. And then for the longer ones, it just creates a more stable ride because you do have that little bit more slow, longer turning radius, which translates to like slightly slower handling. So it's it's a little more forgiving of those ruts that might be jerking the steering wheel around a little bit um, while you're racing along. And so you don't have to, I don't want to say pay quite as much attention, but you know, it's it'll just sort of stay in a straight line a little easier. Yeah, and you'll also find that a shorter chain stay on steeper climbing will give you a little bit more grip on that back tire or traction, and it helps people feel like the bike is a more efficient climber. Um, and then a longer chain stay, if a person is using this all-road bike to maybe do some light touring and they're going to run uh, rear rack and panniers, um, one of the issues people have with shorter chain stays is that their heels hit the panniers so a longer chainstay can give you a little bit of extra room back there for heel clearance on the bags if you're going to be doing some light touring. The other thing I wanted to ask you about the chainstay length was, you know, some the other trick some people do to get a shorter one is to bend the seat tube. And so it'll come up a little straighter from the bottom bracket and then curve back. And that creates a little 
you know nook for the rear wheel to tuck into. Is that what's the pros and cons of that? There's none. I mean, other than the fact that you're doing a really short <laughs> chain stay, right? And so, I mean, as far as putting a bent C tube in, there, there's really no pros or cons. I mean, you could actually maybe make an argument that um, as that C tube goes up and leans back, your seat post is going to, you know, you may have an effective 73 degree seat tube angle, but the seat post itself is at, you know, 65 or something like that. And so you can actually probably get some compliance out of that because you've got that lever bent over um, more. Um, so you could maybe make that argument. Um, but the, the biggest, you know, distinction for that particular bike is going to be really short chain stays. And I'm just not, you know, I'm not a huge fan of really, really short chain stays. So what's the longest chain stay that's practical? I'd say four thirty. Well, for a road bike and then for a gravel bike. Oh well, the bottom bracket plays into that because the lower the bottom bracket, the longer the actual chainstay has to be to produce an effective chainstay length. Do you know what I mean? So, if you measured from your axle center to your bottom bracket horizontally, that's your effective chainstay length, and then your actual chainstay length is if you measured from the center of your bottom bracket direct to the center of your axle. So if you have a really low bottom bracket, your actual chainstay length is going to have to be longer to produce an effective chainstay length equal to a higher bottom bracket. Gotcha. And so which number do you use when you're describing it? I, when I'm designing bikes, I use the actual. So, um, for example, on the Pursuit bikes, they have a 415-millimeter chainstay length. That's the actual but the effective chainstay length is 407. And it has an 80 millimeter bottom bracket drop, which is relatively low for bikes that you can go buy out of a bike shop, but it's a pretty common bottom bracket drop for custom-made bikes. Um, and so if I think of an actual chainstay length, the longest that I practically like to go is a 430-ish. Um, once you start getting over that to the 435, 440s, 450s, those are starting to turn into touring bikes. Um, and then one of the main reasons for that is, you know, c compliance and um, clearance for bags. So it seems like that's a, a real opportunity for confusion. But most geometry charts I've seen, I think they're measuring actual chainstay length, meaning measuring from center of bottom bracket to center of axle. Is what is the rear center measurement then? Well, I, you know, frankly, I'm, I, I think that that would be a direct measurement. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not even sure because I don't use the rear center measurement, but if you look at a front center measurement and a rear center measurement, the importance of those are the relationship between the two. So as long as each one of them is measured with the same method, it probably doesn't matter, but I think it would be direct. So now what? Uh, we move from chainstay length to where? Well, bottom bracket drop was kind of starting to come into that conversation. So bottom bracket drop is, you know, the way I describe it to people is if you draw a line between your two axles, a horizontal line from axle to axle, and then you draw a line perpendicular to that from there to the center of your bottom bracket, that's your drop. And the bigger the number is, the lower your bottom bracket is. Well, that drop is a is a, a lever arm. 
And so the longer that lever is, you know, the more effect an input's going to have on on it. And so when you have a lower bottom bracket and you stand on your pedals, it wants to stand the bike up straight, right? If you can visualize that. So it it's kind of a good way to get free stability because you're not messing, you're not slowing down your, your geometry, but you still, when you're going really fast downhill, for example, and you're standing on the pedals, um, it's going to want to hold that bike upright and it's going to feel more comfortable. Also, when you're going around a turn really fast, right? You're, when you're going really fast, you're not pedaling. Um, your outside pedal should be down at six o'clock and all your weight should be standing on your outside um, pedal. And that projects your weight down. And the, lo the lower your bottom bracket is, the further out towards your contact patch that weight's going to be. So that gives a feeling of security too. The downside being that it, you can clip your pedal more easily if um, you're like start pedaling too soon out of a turn. Um, but most people don't find themselves in that situation. And what I've learned after building thousands of bikes with low bottom brackets for people with, you know, long, long cranks even, um, is that once you sort of program into your head where that clearance is, you don't really ever have a problem with it again. It's sort of like toe overlap. If you have a centimeter of toe overlap, you kind of just know it's there and you subconsciously work around it. So we're, we're big on, to, on the low bottom brackets. What's the lowest realistically you can go and how much does that depend on crank arm length? Well, I don't like to go much below an 80 drop. Um, the average, if you get a mass-produced bike, the average is 65 to 70, just to put it in relative terms. Um, you know, shorter crank arm and a person that really values a low bottom bracket, I'd go to an 85. I have people riding 175 cranks, and in some cases, even longer cranks with an 80 drop, and they don't, they claim they don't have any problems with it. But the one thing I do know, and you know, after building thousands of bikes for people, you you learn, you, you start to see what people care about and what they benefit from. When you get their feedback, you, you learn, you know, which elements you're using are really um, uh, appeal, appealing to people. And the low bottom bracket, I would have to say, is probably one of the number one um, things that people benefit from that you just can't go necessarily get right off the rack. And I think that's primarily because of, you know, consumer safety um, standards. Um, the, you know, when you're putting a lot of bikes out there and they're made not for a specific customer, you have to kind of be careful because you don't know who's going to get on them or how they're going to ride them. But as a custom frame builder, I'm optimizing for an individual person. So it gives me a little bit more latitude in design. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because that was, was going to be my next question is why do you think all the mass production bikes sit a little higher? But that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so we've covered that, which actually sort of leads into crank arm length. Um, you know, I've heard from a few different people recently that we're probably all riding crank arms that are too long. I mean, I'm 6'2 with a, about a 34-inch inseam, and I ride 175s, and it feels right. But I've ridden bikes with 172s and even 170s, and they don't feel wrong, per se. I'm just used to a 175. What, what are your thoughts on crank arm length? 
Well, you know, I've always had sort of a traditional um, opinion about them. You know, a person that's six feet rides a 172 and a half, a person that's five eight rides a 170, a person that's six two rides a 175, and so on. Um, there's even, I think it's Zinn that has the proportional crank arm, so you can get a 197 or something like that. But I know a lot of people have been talking recently about shorter crank arms and not having to close, you know, close up the angle between your thigh and your upper body, you know, not having to fold your pelvis as much. Um, Eric at Alliance Bicycles, who also works at Pursuit, and I have been talking about this quite a bit lately, he's been experimenting with shorter cranks. And he feels, <coughs> excuse me, like it's taking a lot of pressure off of his back because he's not having to fold his body up quite as much. So I think there's opportunity there for people that are having trouble um, maybe with their lower back. I've also noticed that um, tipping the saddle down a little bit more than average is, is helpful too. So I think there's a lot to be learned in that department yet, and we're just starting to experiment with it here now. Although I'm sure there's people out there, that's all they think about, you know. But um, for me, I ride a 172 and a half, and if I ride anything, and I ride a 175 on my mountain bike, but if I get on a road bike and the cranks aren't 172 and a half, I definitely notice it, and it makes me feel crazy. So I think I'd have to commit, you know, to switching fully so that I didn't feel like it was um, odd, because I think it's just... It's not that it's good or bad. It's just that I'm not used to it, and it just doesn't feel right. I'm not, I don't feel like my legs are opening up properly, or I'm not sure exactly how I feel. I just know that I feel um, not at ease when I ride a crank that's not the right length on the, on the road bike. And, and we should mention that you are at least my height, if not a little taller. How tall are you and what's your inseam? I'm six feet even, and I don't know what my inseam is, but I ride a 770 oh, okay. saddle height. Yeah, so I think I'm a inch or two gotcha. shorter. Yeah, I thought you were as tall as I was. No, I just this is my um my platform disco shoes I wear all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you uh you present a larger than life persona, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> what else would you add to our discussion of geometry? What do you think people need to know that's maybe a misunderstood concept out there? Well, first of all, I think people need to understand that there's no such thing as a gravel bike, really, or an um, all-road bike, or a road bike, for that matter. It's a matter of understanding a bike's design and seeing how it fits into the way that you use it. And obviously, a bike will be more flexible off-road as the tires get bigger. Um, and, um, you know, so that's, that's the main thing. I think what we're going to see as we move forward is we're going to see the true road race bike, which has always been basically the benchmark road bike. We're going to see that bike become more of a specialty bike, not unlike, you know, a triathlon bike or cyclocross bike or something. And then this so-called all-road bike becoming the, basically the road bike. I think it was Bruce Gordon that said, um, you know, we've been building gravel bikes for 40 years. We just always call them road bikes, you know. And um, I, I think, you know, he's got a good point there. I think that this whole gravel bike idea is more of a construct of the marketing departments of bigger companies than it is a real thing. Because as a custom bike builder, We've just always built for what, how people want to use their bikes. And I'm, the minute that Avid released the um, BB7 
mechanical disc brake that was um, had the proper cable geometry for a road bike lever. Ever since then, which was in 1999 or 2000 or maybe 2001, is quite a while ago. Um, we've been building bikes that look like today's modern quote air quote gravel bikes. You know, so I guess the takeaway for me is is you know think about your the rider's priorities first, and then. Um, those should lead to a tire size and then that tire size should lead to a bike. Right on. Okay. Well, one last question for you. So along those lines, if somebody you wants to get a bike that's say comfortable, but can perform well, is there from a performance standpoint, like maybe they just want to jump in a group ride a couple times a year, but they're mainly just going on their own or just riding with a couple of friends is, are they going to feel uncomfortable if they got, you know, a, a gravel-ish bike, you know, something leaning in that direction, but just put road slicks on it for most of the time? I don't think so. I think what you'll find is that, you know, the more you ask out of the bike, um, performance-wise, performance being um, uh, defined as road racing performance, I think that um, you'll find you'll have a longer wheelbase, you know, and um, you might have slightly uh, slacker steering geometry, but a good rider is not going to really pay any attention to that. Um, I think if you had a gravel road bike and you put some 28s on it and you went and got on the local club ride or a local club race, um, the, you'd be just fine. If you're a little bit more hardcore and you're doing like regional, you know, racing, cat racing, and you, you know, you're a, you know, a pro or a one or a two, you know, you're going to probably find the bike is lacking. If you're a, a mid-pack three, you're, you know, I mean, at that point, it probably doesn't really much matter. Awesome. Well, on that note, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I learned something for sure. Good, good. I'm looking forward to hearing what others have to say. So, Watts, what did you think? <laughs> I just like, got to your question. Yeah, it's easy. I liked it. Um, I liked how many times you said, okay. <laughs> Those are edited out. People aren't uh, going to know that because I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> Cersei started a drinking game with it, and I'm pretty drunk. Maybe I right should now. do the thing. <laughs> yeah. No, it was good. I enjoyed listening to Carl talk about that. I liked his traditionalist kind of attitude toward the bikes and what he was, yeah, geometry. I liked his thoughts on drop bottom, uh, drop chain stays <laughs> and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, I really, there's something about that that I just think is cool, that aesthetic of the drop drive side train stay. You know, like, we just published the story from Seattle at, uh, on the Chapter 2 gravel bike, and it's got a severely dropped one. Open Cycles does it. There's a lot of brands that do it to varying levels. And, you know, the functionality is there, and it's, but it is a very polarizing look. I don't know. How do you feel? That's fine. I mean, my Univega Alpina definitely had the drop chain stays, wow. and I definitely remember that. Yeah. Univega, huh? Oh, yeah. Um, that would yeah, be I remember a thinking it looked kind of cool at the time, but I don't know. Oh, I don't have it. I have used to have a wood smoke up on the wall there. One of the salsa wood smokes. Oh, that, those had it too. Really? Well, it doesn't have a drop bottom. <laughs> one of the, I keep saying the wrong word. One of the salsas had a has pretty a severe super one. high chain mm, stay. Okay. Um, almost, you know, reminiscent of like the Nashikis from back in the day, and yeah, just. But I liked what Carl had to say about. Why? Why do you want super short stays? Why do you? Why do you want that? Right. Why? Yeah, not for gravel. I don't think yeah. for cross. I kind of like it, but you know, we're, then we're getting into a whole other category. You know, one of the things that he explained really, really well about bottom bracket drop 
that I'd never heard put that way was that it weights that outside pedal using the bottom bracket drop as a lever, you know, to create more pressure on the tires as you're cornering. So the way I've always heard it explained is, you know, when your bottom bracket's a little lower, you got that lower center of gravity, so maybe you're handling a little bit better or you're cornering better, but it's, the other way is that, okay, you're more in the bike as opposed to up on the bike, for which, sure. you know, it, it, that I think makes it very easy for people to visualize because uh, Carl definitely went into the weeds a little bit sometimes on, you know, like parallel this, perpendicular that, and... Um, you let him there. It was, yeah, well, you know, like... <laughs> uh, I was in my head. I'm trying to think like, how can I put this into layman's terms? But yeah, putting using that as a lever, and now it's like, man, that that makes so much sense. But it's one of those things that it's not immediately obvious. Oh, man, I mean, and not to bring up my Bridgestone RB1 again, but that was a thing about it. it. Had a super low bottom bracket, and the second I realized that about weighting that outside foot, man, that thing railed corners. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to the first time I ever raced a crit and I pedal struck in every single turn <laughs> and made everyone have a mini heart attack around me. Uh, yeah, Cat 5. Or Sparks Flying. Cat 5, oh man. <laughs> yeah, I think I was wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> nice. All the crits I've ever done, I'd start out way too fast and then try and hang with the fast guys and then i just completely fall off and get pulled out. I definitely, I, I might have gotten lapped that race. And that was when I was just like, I'm a pretty fast rider. I think I'm going to be good at this. Mm. Yeah. The other thing that I really liked was that um, saying the general riding public, whether they know it or not, tends to end up on, or, or let me rephrase that, enjoys a bike with more endurance geometry and maybe even like full on gravel geometry more because it really is a more comfortable bike to ride. And, you know, I've talked to Mike, you know him, he owns Blacksmith Cycles up in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And, um, he said that, you know, his customers, they and, and everybody, really, like, if you're watching the races, you see the pros, they're on these super steep, racy bikes, and I'll use, you know, like, the Cannondale bikes as an example, because he would always recommend to people, like, a Cannondale Synapse, but people are like, oh, no, I need the Cat 10, Cat 11, or whatever, because that's what the pros are racing, and it's got steeper angles, sharper handling, and when you're in a pack, and it's a little twitchy, it can be a little scary, for most people who aren't used to that, right, but they think they want what the pros want. And group ride heroes, man. Yeah, and you know Saturday superstars. Yeah, Tuesday but. Tuesday night, they won. They <laughs> won the Tuesday night race. Yep, uh, city limit sprints. But the thing is, it's like I've ridden both. I've ridden you know the CAD high end series over the years and the Synapse. And I'll tell you, man, like I'll ride the Synapse all day every day versus the CAD stuff because it's just so much more comfortable. You're slightly more upright. The angles are a little slacker, and it's just fun to ride all around right and you can go explore a little bit if you want whereas the race and that's bikes. i mean we you know as a shop we're always trying to push that more relaxed geometry and even the bigger tire clearance and everything like that and it's a little bit of a slow thing in this town that still is just full of group ride heroes who think they need a carbon bike for the 250 pound frame <laughs> you know because yeah. they're gonna win the b ride tonight Meanwhile, if they were just on a comfortable bike, yeah. Maybe they'd ride it more. You yeah. Know? Well, Maybe. yeah. I don't know. So actually, some you of hope. the guys on the B-rides are super fast around here. That's why. Well, without I, a doubt. But then, 
nothing's going to mean anything to y'all. But then Will Shore shows up on a 26-inch mountain bike and destroys all of them. And, yeah, they don't know what happened. Hmm. Oh, well. Um, yeah, it's, I don't have a whole lot of other thoughts on geometry. I think Carl really summed it all up really well, right? Like, you know, if you're looking for a bike, drop. Oh, let's rephrase that, a drop bar bike, you know, I would say, and I think Carl said, lean towards something that's a little more forgiving, a little more comfortable. Kind of doubt. And, and just, then more just pick the right tires for the because job. Because it's the kind of thing you can do a lot with. Yeah. yeah. And there's so many tires nowadays, too, right? Like, I don't even, for me personally, at my height, and you're, you know, like what, an inch shorter than me, like 6'1", six, 6'2", six, I don't think you need to get into um, 650B. But for the shorter ride of 650B, or if you just really want a bigger, fatter tire on there for rougher roads, that's an option too, and like some of those are even pushing out almost close to what a good 700 by like 47 could be. But really, like if you pick the right tire for the terrain, you're gonna you're gonna be hard pressed to be disappointed on whatever you're doing, right? Like you could easily jump into a group ride unless you're just a fussy person that likes to be fussy about things. Yeah, just ride your bike, man. God. Speaking of fussy and how much grief you give me over the intro and outro music on this podcast, nobody has managed to guess who the voiceover is on that. I just haven't guessed, but yeah. Yeah, we haven't had any guesses, which means they just don't know. Here's a hint. She rules. Yep. All right, so we'll give one hint. She was an Enduro Pro and now does commentating for some of the Downhill and Enduro series. Here's another hint. Donald Trump hair. <laughs> oh my gosh. She'll know what I mean. Uh, so, on that note, if you think you know who it is and you want to win some Bike Rumor swag, leave the name in the comment, the first person to get it right, and if nobody guesses or nobody gets it right, we'll just keep adding hints until somebody does. She's <laughs> awesome. And Yeah, there we go. Alright, well, until next time, we'll see everybody later. Bye, I'm drunk. That's a wrap on this episode. Tune in next time for another great ride. Be sure to follow at BikeRumor on your favorite social media and hit like and subscribe or leave a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks and we will see you next time.